Welcome, everybody, to the Steve Jordan Experience. A pleasure to have you here with me today. And if this is your first time listening, thank you for joining. And if you haven't yet, please rate the podcast. It please it means a lot to me and my guests because we are spending our times, our passions, our love, our interest in sharing the information with you. It helps to get that information out to reach many others. And if you believe in the law of giving and receiving, as I do, if you give just that little bit of a recognition, acknowledgement in that rating, you will give more to everybody else who can find the podcast on the extensive library of podcasts out there. So please rate the podcast. It means a lot. Well, thanks again for listening. And I've got an awesome guest here with me today. His name is Jeffrey Smith. Jeffrey Smith, welcome to the show. It is a pleasure to have you. Um, I will get into his bio in a second, but uh, I just want to welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. Great to be here. Jimmy, you've got a, a very uh, accomplished background. Um, you're, you've been a spokesperson on GMO health and dangers. Uh, GMOs, we know, um, not as we know, you and I know, but maybe our listeners don't. But um, unless you've been living under a rock, you've heard of GMOs uh, and how they are uh, have been affecting our health. And um, we are now really finding out the impact of of that now, and uh, doing a lot about it. But you know, you've ta- you've you've authored as well two global best selling books. Um, you've been in or you've directed five films. You've delivered over a thousand lectures and thousand interviews in forty five countries, and trained over fifteen hundred speakers. And organized over ten thousand grassroots advocates, you know, and grassroots, no pun intended, because you're working with microbiome and the soil and finding ways to have sustainable farming uh, to be able to have foods that are nutrient dense. Uh, this is such an important topic today because I am a huge believer. You are what you eat. It's an old saying back when when I was growing up that I heard never really took it consideration until recently, probably in the last decade. It really is true. Uh, you know, we are products, byproducts of what we're eating. And unfortunately, the foods that many of um, companies today in the United States have been producing have not been that good for us. So we're kind of really trying to unwind a lot of this. And uh, you've been spearheading that. So I want to first find out a little bit about you before you got to that point. How and why did this all of a sudden start to make sense to you? Why did you want to turn your focus and attention towards this area? Well, about 25 years ago, I went to a lecture by a whistleblowing genetic engineer. That was the year, 1996, that GMOs were going to be introduced into the U.S. food supply Hmm. by Monsanto Company. And the scientist said there is no way that anyone from Monsanto or anyone in the world could do genetic engineering in such a way that would predictably protect the health of the eaters of GMOs. He Mm. knew from his experience as an award-winning genetic engineer that the process itself creates massive collateral damage in the DNA. And as far as food goes, it could create new allergens, toxins, anti-nutrients, carcinogens, and it was basically a gamble. But even greater was the concern that once you release a GMO, into the environment, it will cross-pollinate and become part of the gene pool. Mm. So there's no way to clean it up. Mm. So all future generations could be cursing this generation based on the way that we took this technology and commercialized it long before it was ready for prime time. And now we have 
new genetic genetic engineering technologies like gene editing, where it's so cheap and easy, you can buy a do-it-yourself kit on Amazon for $169. Virtually everything with DNA is being targeted. And this means that if we don't stop it, we'll be replacing nature, changing or destroying the biological evolution as we know it mm. through introducing a technology which changes the DNA and whose number one most common result is surprise side effects. Well, let me ask you this question. Why did uh, Monsanto decide to do this? Was it a, was it a, um, a push politically? Was it profits? What, what was their purpose of creating a, a product that they knew that would cause this kind of harm? They had been making lots of money with Roundup herbicide. Mm-hmm. And the chief poison in Roundup is called glyphosate. It was originally patented as a descaler to clean industrial boilers and pipes. They claimed that it was safe. We had, turns out it's very unsafe, and we can spend a little time on that, scaring everyone out of eating anything sprayed with Roundup. And it is scary when you find out how damaging it is to, to human health. But they nevertheless marketed it as safe. But in 2000, the patent was expiring on glyphosate. Mm. And so in 1996, farmers started buying seeds to plant for sale of genetically engineered Roundup-ready soybeans and corn and then cotton and canola. These crops were engineered not to die when sprayed with Roundup. So weeding became easy. Mm. You You could spray right over the field by combine, even by plane. It would kill all of the other plants in the field except the genetically engineered plant. Now, what that means is you're changing the nature of nature within the DNA. And we now know that the Roundup-ready corn that produced that withstands Roundup has higher levels of putrescine and cadaverine, which are responsible for the foul odors of rotting dead bodies, but also related to cancer and allergies. We know that rats that ate the Roundup-ready corn had multiple massive tumors, early death, and organ damage. But we also have the Roundup-ready corn that's been sprayed with Roundup, and Roundup has caused multiple massive tumors, early death, organ damage. It's a class 2A carcinogen, et cetera, et cetera. So you have crops that have at least two toxins now introduced to them. But it did work for Monsanto in that they ended up capturing the soy market and the corn market and much of the cotton and canola markets. And 90% or more of those crops in North America are genetically engineered, primarily Roundup ready. So that was the reason they genetically engineered crops to sell more chemicals. Hmm. And the Roundup gets driven into the crop. You can't wash it off. There is something added to it which pushes it into the tissues of the crop, but it also pushes it into the tissues of human skin. So when they were testing to see if Roundup was absorbed by human skin, they put it on human cadaver skin, and lo and behold, it was more than three times the allowable absorption level. So they never told the EPA, they illegally hid that information, took human cadaver skin, baked it in an oven, then froze it, and then applied Roundup to that leather-like human skin, had very little absorption, and reported that level to the EPA and got it approved. And now they've that information came out in a recent trial where juries realized that the Roundup was in fact contributing to the plaintiff's cancers 
because they were spraying it and it was being driven into their skin, causing non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Hmm. So it's we now have the problem of many GMOs in our food, as well as a lot of food sprayed with Roundup. Not only the GMOs, Steve, but Roundup is also sprayed just before harvest to dry down grains and beans. So it's in oats, it's in wheat, it's in lentils and hummus and because of the chickpeas and mung beans. It's throughout our food supply and it is extremely dangerous. I remember growing up as a kid, I grew up in New Jersey and a lot of friends and friends, older brothers uh, were landscapers. And, you know, it's a very seasonal job. And sometimes I would take those summer jobs and do it. And Roundup was a very popular product to kill the weeds. Like we had these sprayers that you put on your back and you put the Roundup concentration in it, fill it up with the hose, with the water, and you're spraying and you spray around all the plants. You spray for the weeds. And is it the same the same concept, the same Roundup that you're speaking yeah. of? In fact, in Monsanto's own studies, they found that spraying it was very dangerous for the applicator. So in-house, they told their own people to wear rubber gloves and masks and uh, suits that wouldn't allow penetration. But in their commercials, they showed people in shorts and tank tops and bare feet, mm. never telling the public that it was a danger. A friend of mine who's a scientist had a very interesting experience where he would spray coyote urine around his organic garden to keep the deer away. He ran out of coyote urine, so he, he peed into a mason jar and sprayed his own urine, and it turns out it was killing the weeds. You see, he was spraying Roundup near his greenhouse, and the Roundup was getting into his body and coming out its urine. Hmm. So he verified it, that his urine, in fact, was a weed killer in his lab, stopped spraying Roundup, and his urine no longer killed weeds. So when you were spraying the Roundup, you were getting a dose in your body. Some of it goes out your urine very quickly. Some of it works its way into your bone marrow. And uh, it's a situation where if you look at what Roundup does at a mode of action, it uh, damages the fundamental aspects of health. It mm. blocks the absorption of minerals. It is a antibiotic, so it damages the microbiome. It causes leaky gut. It can damage the production of melatonin, serotonin, and dopamine. It can alter hormones. It can cause mutations in DNA. It's a class 2A carcinogen. It can suppress digestion, and it can collapse and destroy mitochondria. And mm. I'm just getting started. Now, if you if you... That's for those that are into health, whether it's recovery from disease or mastering one's health, biohacker, etc. You'll recognize certain things in there: microbiome, minerals, leaky gut, mitochondria. When these are at risk or having problems, they lead to massive numbers of diseases. Well, if you plot the use of Roundup on Roundup-ready soy and corn since it was introduced in '96. You can plot that against more than 30 diseases, and the correlation is stunning. Now, correlation doesn't prove causation, but I have interviewed and surveyed thousands of people who got better from these and similar diseases when they switched to non-GMO and organic food. Pet owners 
Veterinarians and farmers describe the same recoveries when the animals are taken off of GMOs. When the lab animals are fed GMOs and Roundup in controlled laboratory conditions, they suffer from these or related conditions or their precursors. Hmm. So I'm talking about cancer, high blood pressure, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, diabetes, um, anxiety, depression, lack of concentration, ADHD, insomnia, and you can track the mode of action to these very specifically. Insomnia, if you don't have enough melatonin, you might have sleep disorders. Serotonin creates the melatonin, and L-tryptophan creates the serotonin. The production of L-tryptophan is done by the gut bacteria through a, a shikimate pathway, which is blocked by glyphosate. So I just brought you back from insomnia to glyphosate. We can bring you back from cancer to glyphosate, from diabetes to glyphosate, from autism to glyphosate, through the modes of action supported by clinical evidence, epidemiological data, and people's experience. Mm, awesome. Well, I mean, it, it, it seems like it's uh, this this company, uh, Monsanto, was really just being um, naive, but intentionally hiding and doing things outside of what they knew to be right to uh, profit, to make a, you know, to, to, to do what they were intending to do. And it, it's just astounding that a company could do that and how a company still to this day has that much power. And oh, it's, it's incredible. A, it's, it really is. It's, it's, uh, I mean, when you hear the word Monsanto, if you if you watch any Netflix documentaries on anything that we're talking about, I mean, you hear the 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 name of this company come up all the time. It sounds evil, like it has <laughs> an evil connotation. It, it like it really does. It doesn't have anything um, positive about it, and it's um, it's sad because you know people in the Midwest and elsewhere outside of maybe some major cities where education is higher and um, there's more uh, there's more influence in and around the nutrition space. People are, uh, they're, they're stuck. They almost can't do anything about it. There's almost no resources, you know, and, and there are, there's always resources, but limited ones. And, you know, that's a, that's a challenge. Um, how do we get to the, how do we get to fix this, uh, you know, in areas and, and situations like where people don't have the resources like you or I have? Well, first of all, it's important to understand what we can do individually for ourselves, then what we can do for society, and then what we can do for future generations. But let's start with ourselves and our families. Eating organic does not is the best generic choice because it doesn't allow the use of GMOs or Roundup. Now, you can grow your own food. You can go to farmer's markets and make sure they're growing organic standard practices, even if they're not organic. If you can't get organic, then you have to sort of maneuver around your choices. You'll want to avoid the GMOs. We've been reporting on the dangers of GMOs for more than two decades, very serious stuff. And there's only 12 GMO food crops right now. And they're listed at our website, responsibletechnology.org. I can say them quickly so people can stop and replay it and write it down. Yeah. Soy, cor soy, corn, cotton, canola, sugar beets, alfalfa. There's potatoes and apples that are gen engineered not to turn brown when sliced. There's papaya from Hawaii or China. 
there's pink pineapples, um, and uh, I think I'm missing two. I think I took it in the wrong order. Anyway, there's also uh, salmon, genetically engineered salmon, which is not yet introduced into the food supply. Um, and I think I know I must have gotten all. Anyway, I've, I've set them all for 25 years. Actually, the list has been growing. So the pink pineapple as well. Yeah, don't eat the pink pineapple. You can get it. It's like 50 bucks online. Uh, don't get it. It's it's dangerous. Yeah, so I know that. The only reason why I know that because I recently saw in the past year, I forgot where, but um, and it was like you said, it was expensive and it was kind of uh, positioned to be this kind of very foo-foo fruit. Right. And zucchini and yellow squash. I may not have mentioned them. Those no, are the did. 12. So you want to avoid those unless it's organic or it says non-GMO. But you also want to avoid the foods that have high levels of Roundup, which would be called glyphosate residues. At responsibletechnology.org, right in front of you when you get there, you have an opportunity to get the database of the tests that have been done by organization, ours and other organizations. And you'll note right away that oats and hummus, because it's got the chickpeas and wheat and lentils, very high levels. You'll also notice that some organic foods have levels of glyphosate, but it's usually a tiny amount because glyphosate is sprayed all over the country, over 300 million pounds. It's in our air. It's in our rain. It's in the water supply. So it can't be avoided completely, but you'll see that the organics are uniformly less. And so, but if you can't get organic, at least avoid the GMOs and the heavy hitter glyphosate residues. So that's one thing we can do. Now, if you are trouble, if you think you can't afford it, combine your health budget with your food budget. Uh, if you watch the film Secret Ingredients, you'll see that people, when they do organics, they get better from chronic illnesses. In the film Secret Ingredients that I did with Amy Hart, there's a family that had 21 chronic conditions between five people. They went to all organic, the conditions disappeared, they stopped going to doctors because they weren't sick anymore. Others in the same in the film had the same experience. The autistic boy is no longer on the spectrum. We had a, a chiropractic clinic that was treating a lot of infertile couples. Everyone had kids. Every one of them, 100%. You all put them all on organic diets. People with brain fog and weight can, weight problems and skin conditions went away when they switched to an organic food. So put your health budget with your food budget. And while you're there, put your philanthropy budget there too, because you're contributing to a healthier world. You're contributing to healthier farmers who don't have the sprayers on their back or in the combines getting exposed to these disease creating chemicals. Mm -hmm. That way we can psychologically afford it. And then there are ways to purchase in bulk, start cooking where you are formerly buying pre-cooked processed foods. There are techniques to save time and money. We go into a lot of them at this 90-day lifestyle upgrade, which is available also at livehealthybewell.com. But find people who are already up the learning curve on organic, and they'll tell you how you can buy in bulk, how you can get food delivered if it's not in your area. In fact, one of the companies that delivers food, um, David Setzer, who's, who's, <clears throat> who's uh, Azure Standard, delivers to 2,500 drop points, he explained that he can feed his family a full meal for $1.63 a person. Hmm. And then uh, um, someone from the film, Kathleen Dikiar, said she can feed her family five an all-organic meal 
for under 20 bucks and they explain how they do it. So I wouldn't say close the door because you don't have organic food in your food desert area. Open your mind to get the resources so that you can get what you need. Hmm. Awesome. Um, I know these food delivery services, there's a lot of them now, especially during COVID. Um, are all of them equally as, uh, do they all equally have high standards as well? Many no, of them no, no, no. Are there ones that you like that you could promote? Well, here's the thing. It's, I can make it easier for people. It's like if they serve organic, if they sell organic, fine. If it's not organic, is it non-GMO project verified? Does it have any glyphosate residue-free certifications? I'd rather, I mean, Azure Standard is, a, is an excellent one. They don't have 100% coverage from their trucks around the country. They'd have to ship UPS when they don't have a truck delivery. There's others like that, but even within a delivery service, you want to be discriminating so that, you know, if you find a place that like, I'm, I'm, I have a, a weekly box of food and I, I ordered some groceries in it and they substituted when they didn't have what I wanted and it wasn't organic. I called them and said, you can't do that because uh, it, uh, it's a food shaped object to me. It's an FSO. I don't mm -hmm. eat that. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so we, you have to be alert. And when you go out to eat, I have on my website at responsibletechnology.org, how to order to avoid these things. Sometimes you call in advance if you don't want to eat the genetically engineered cooking oils, which are the soy and the canola and the corn and the cottonseed. You can say, do you, what are you cooking? What oil do you cook in? Hmm. And if they say soy, say, well, do you have any olive oil there that you could cook my food in? And if it's not a fast food place and they cook mm -hmm. from scratch, they could probably accommodate. So you end up with healthier food than anyone else at the table or anyone else at the restaurant by making some inquiries. Yeah, I like that. I, I've been teaching clients to do that for a long time, but not to the, that degree. Um, some degrees like where, you know, you go to a steakhouse and people like a lot of steak places will douse the food or even the fish and butter, you know, it's not necessary to do that. So, uh, but going back to organic, uh, everybody hears it. It's a, you know, a, a household name. What does organic actually mean? And are all companies that claim to be organic organic? How are they? How is it monitored? Could I just create a product now, grow it in my backyard, and say it's organic because I'm not using any pesticides? How how do how does it get to that point? In order for you to put the word organic on your product, you need to register it with uh, the organic standards as an organically certified product. You will get a visit once a year from an organic certifying company. Their inspector will come out. You will have to keep meticulous notes of everything you buy and everything you do so they can check off to make sure that you don't use disallowed products or procedures. So organics is a very specific standard based on what you can't do. You can't spray Roundup. You can't spray Atrazine. You can't spray one of many, many chemical synthetic toxins. You can't use GMOs. If you run it through a processor, that processor has to be cleaned out from the previous food products so that you don't get mixing. If you send it in a truck, that is, you can't just mix it with other grains. There has to be a clean out. It has to be documented. 
written down so that all of that is inspected and verified. Yes, there is some fraud. And yes, there is some contamination, even when organic producers do their best. But as a standard, it's the best we have. Now, within the organic, some people will be really good at creating outstanding soil biology and soil chemistry, and that will influence the nutrient density of the food. Some will not. There's a new version of food that's new concept called regenerative agriculture, which it requires a stewardship of the soil that can increase the nutrient density. So you'll be looking for more regenerative uh, certifications and statements. But you can also ask people at uh, farmer's markets. Uh, I, I shop at a store which looks for the highest quality of organic. All of their produce is organic, but within organic, they look for the higher quality. Mm. However, what I just said, for those that have not yet been on the organic journey, forget everything that I just said. Go from your organic, from your non-organic cookie to your organic cookie. Go from your non-organic chip to your organic chip. Go from your hamburger bun to the non-organic hamburger bun. Make the change without stressing about the nutrient density and all that stuff, just get off the toxins. Now, when you do that, take notes, do a diary, a spreadsheet I recommend. Every column is a different day. At the top, the percentage of organic that day. Then your energy level, your mood, every single symptom, one to 10, how well you slept. All of these things can be influenced by GMOs, Roundup, and other toxins that are used in non-organic food. And I would recommend even start your journey by looking at the film Secret Ingredients because virtually everyone who watches that film makes a commitment even before the title, the, the credits roll, to eat more organic. It's, it's, we've done pre and post tests. We run, we watch a dozen people and families make the transition. We explain what they're avoiding and why why it's dangerous. The doctors explain the changes you're seeing are not just one-offs. They happen in our practices every day. We have some gleeful doctors talking about how when their patients backslide and cheat, their symptoms come back and then they become more, more uh, vigorous with their protocols. And we have the scientists explaining what's going on with GMOs and Roundup with animations showing what happens in the body. So by the time that's over, and you also realize, of course, that the FDA allowed it to happen because it was the person, Monsanto's former attorney who was in charge of FDA policy. He then became Monsanto's vice president. We now know from the Roundup trials that it was Monsanto's lapdogs in the EPA that approved their Roundup. So there's no one hesitating to think, well, how could it be so bad if it's approved? Well, we now know exactly why it was approved. It was over the objections of the scientists at the FDA, over objections of scientists at the EPA that these things got onto the market. So at the end of that film, it's like, okay, I'm ready to go. And you'll realize from that film, like the family, the, the DKRs that had 21 chronic conditions, one boy was autistic, the mother was paralyzed and had all sorts of problems, father had a breast tumor, the, another boy had bloating and constipation, another one had eczema all over his body. The same toxins were being expressed in different ways through the family, she started experimenting on the family, taking out gluten, taking out commercial 
dairy, taking out soy, taking out dyes, and they were getting better, but they still were managing 21 chronic conditions. When they switched to all organic, those conditions disappeared. The mm. same underlying cause expressed in different ways based on the weaknesses of the physiology. That's why having that whole list in your diary, you may not be paying attention to the eczema, but it may go away, or the dry skin, or the constipation, or the fact that you can sleep better at night. You may not be paying attention to it, but spend a few weeks with that and you realize, oh my God, you can even run it at a graph. If you do it on a spreadsheet, you can run the graph and be shocked. And then if you decide to go on a vacation and ignore the protocols and get what you can, see what happens. Write that down too. Cheating is valuable. It gives information. And also at times when you can't eat organic, don't worry about it because the toxin, the GMOs are toxins, the Roundup is toxin, and worrying is toxic. So just don't bother worrying about it. Do the best you can. Yeah. Um, great info. And thank you for really going deep into that. You have a website, Live Healthy and Be Well. It's you called talk live, about live, this. Healthy, live Healthy, Be Well. Right. Yeah, Live Healthy, Be Well. Do you have on there uh, these tools, these resources, like uh, these calendars or these sheets, these checklists, or, and, and on any of the other sites that you have? So I, I, we have in the 90-Day Lifestyle Upgrade, which mm -hmm. we created for people who watched the movie and said, okay, I want to be organic. How? And mm. we wanted to make sure they did the best they can. So we interviewed, re-interviewed the people from the film so that they gave their tips and tricks to save time and save money. We interviewed scientists and doctors and people that had organic products. So there is a diary in there, but really it's just create a spreadsheet or if you prefer, write it down, percentage organic, mood, energy level, sleep, and then all your symptoms. That's it. And it. you can, you people can, they've created lists before. Just make sure you can do it every day. Yeah. And then, you know, people even could do it on their, on their phone, but I, I've never figured out how to do that with such an extensive list. <laughs> in, the, in the notes section. Right. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, I don't know. I get kind of weird with a spreadsheet. So what we have is um, some tools there, but at responsibletechnology.org, we have the list of the organic foods and the list of the products with high levels of Roundup. And we haven't even talked about the third site because we're talking about how to protect yourself. And we can, when, whenever you want, talk about how to protect the world, which is even more important. I agree. Let's let's talk about that. Um, and I was going to say that that would be protectnaturenow.com. Is that exactly protect nature now? Yeah. Let's let's talk about that. I think it's huge. I just told you I got back from a a retreat that I was leading in Northern California in a beautiful area called Woodside. Um, and it's in the Santa Cruz mountains, gorgeous, uh, 2000 year old redwood trees. I got to sit in the nature and forest bathe and just breathe in all that beautifulness. And it really brought me back. And I live in a beautiful place right now in Orange County near the ocean, but it doesn't have that eco diversity that the, the, the mountains there have. And it's just so beautiful when you see this, you just it's in you're in awe, especially of a tree that's been around for two thousand years. That's it's just it's it's magnificent. Is the best word I could describe. That is a great introduction for protect nature now. So, gene editing we mentioned this is a form of creating genetic engineered organisms, genetically modified organisms, GMOs, that is fraught with unpredicted side effects. Some scientists say it is worse 
than the original forms of GMOs. Nature, the journal Nature called three studies on human embryos using CRISPR gene editing, chromosomal mayhem, losses of chromosomes, rearrangements, additions, subtractions. The collateral damage is extensive. But the biotech industry has convinced governments of exactly the opposite. They say gene editing is completely safe and predictable and natural. It doesn't require any government oversight. They get many, many people to say that, and the government believes them and says, okay, we're not going to apply any requirements for gene-edited GMOs in Japan, in the United States, in uh, for some GMOs in Australia and the UK, Brazil, Argentina. They're trying to put pressure on Canada now and the EU. Now, if we are not protective, we will see hundreds of thousands of new GMOs introduced into this generation, and you can't recall them. You're putting in new genetic combinations into gene pools, and they will interact and they will persist. But the kingdoms that are the most dangerous are the ones we can't see as easily. Bacteria, viruses, fungus, algae. The microbiome, as you know, is miraculous inside us. It's miraculous outside of us. Let's take a moment and just feel the awe and wonder of the scientists who are discovering how this micro-Jedi army works on our behalf. In the second trimester of pregnancy, milk-digesting bacteria move into the birth canal. They then inoculate the babies so that the baby's microbiome can digest the milk. Further, more microbiome probiotic critters come out through the milk and also even on the skin of the mother of the, who is breastfeeding, who is nursing. The state of the health of the infant is expressed in their saliva microbiome, which then gets transferred through the breast to the mother, which adjusts the formula. A large portion of the milk is indigestible by the infant. It's not designed for the infant, it's designed for the microbiome. Because if the microbiome is well established in the beginning, it will create health and promote health lifelong and even for future generations. If there's a tumor, breast tumor, Bacteria come into the breast to help prevent its spread. When there's Alzheimer's, fungus moves into the head to prevent. When you reduce, according to Dietrich Klinghart, the reduce the amount of microbiome activity of the brain, IQ goes down. Kieran Christian describes how we have outsourced 90% of our daily metabolic functions to the microbiome. We can get away, we humans, with the measly 23,000 genes because we use the genetic information from that's available in 3.5 million genes of the microbiome living inside us. It has co-evolved with us, so it supports us, and it is part of us. Same in the soil, same in the atmosphere, in the leaves. When you genetically engineer microbes, we didn't need a pandemic to know that microbes can travel the earth and mutate. Most people don't realize that microbes swap genes. They go to big swap meets and they pass out they like deck of cards. Here, try mine, try mine. So you introduce a genetically engineered microbe in one location and it may end up in a thousand ecosystems and then it transfers its gene to a thousand different microbes and they're in a thousand ecosystems. Mm. And they can damage or collapse ecosystems. If you go to protectnaturenow.com, watch the 16-minute film, Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle. Just want to mm. tell you a word. 
we show one genetically engineered microbe that was planned to be released two weeks away from being released that could have theoretically ended terrestrial plant life. Another one that could have theoretically altered weather patterns permanently on the planet. We talk about a avian flu that was genetically engineered to be airborne, which has a death rate that's more than 50 times that of COVID. At the time I mentioned 24, but they've learned more about it. So we have demonstrated that there are certain bad actors where if they were released, it could be a cataclysm. But it turns out that any genetically engineered microbe will have unpredicted consequences if it survives because it will change the nature of nature and it can spread around the world and it can, as I say, damage or collapse ecosystems, including the ecosystems inside of us. There are hardly any safeguards on the planet now to protect us from release of genetically engineered microbes. High school biology classes can create, every kid in the class can create a microbe every day and flush it down the toilet for an environmental release. Imagine the millions of microbes that can be released in this generation. The chances of a catastrophe or worse yet a cataclysm grow with every release. And so Protect Nature Now is going to implement laws to protect nature from environmental releases of genetically engineered microbes. So after you watch the film, go to the advocacy platform right there on the homepage, click it, and you will, when you enter your address, all of your elected officials will show up. And with a single click, every month we have a new campaign, we will send them a white paper, a film, um, legislation that we're wanting to support, uh, articles, educating them. So whether you're in the United States or Canada or UK or EU or Australia, your elected officials and your local media, you can send them all a press release. You can tweet them. You can do the pre-worded messages or you can customize it. But please do participate. Be the microbe whisperer and work on their behalf. And then when you're done with that, go to the donation tab and please make a recurring donation, even $5 a month, whatever you can afford, because if it's recurring, then we can open up an office in Brussels or in China or in South America. Then we can do another trip to DC. Our last one was vastly successful and we have entrees now to many members of Congress. We can create the new art, the new materials. I'm working on another film right now. We, we can do what we need to do to protect nature now because we have arrived at an inevitable time in human civilization where we can easily redirect the streams of evolution irreversibly. So this means we have a new responsibility as humanity to protect and steward all living beings for all future generations. And mm. that has to be taught in schools. And that has to be part of policy and law around the world immediately. So that's what we're doing. Awesome. I love the. I love it. If I could ask you, where in the world are they more advanced and were receptive to this? Where, to where to the protective mechanisms or to yeah. the Yeah, to the protective mechanisms. Well, it's interesting. The European Union declared that gene editing should be treated like GMOs and is requiring their safety evaluations, which aren't extensive enough. They're kind of weak, but they're better than other countries. But they're now facing pressure by special interest groups and who've convinced the European Commission to remove gene editing from the mix and to allow any gene edited organism, including microbes, to be introduced without any government oversight. 
Very few people are aware of the microbial threat, but I find them from time to time, microbiologists and others that say, you know, I have, I've been thinking about it. We're like a powder keg. And it's interesting among the government organizations, the ones that are most concerned about it are national security, homeland security, Department of Defense. So when I did a white paper for Congress, it turns out I could quote Homeland Security, Department of Defense, et cetera, and former national security advisors saying this gene editing is way, way beyond what we're regulating. And some of them understand the microbial situation as the most dangerous. Mm -hmm. But now that the pandemic is here, we have a receptor cell opening of the population. Now it's easy to convey. Now people are getting it because everyone's been focusing on a global mutation of a virus. And we say, you know, we, we want to make sure we don't create new potentially pandemic pathogens in laboratories. There's been over a thousand laboratory accidents at highly secure biological labs, including actual releases of pandemic pathogens. So one of our demands is no indoor enhancements of potentially pandemic pathogens. That will be implementing one of the lessons of the pandemic. But there's a pandemic concept that can happen in the environment, so we don't want any outdoor release of altered microbes. So that angle, which is right at the beginning of the Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle 16-minute film, that angle makes it so much easier right now in human civilization to get this because of what we're going through. So it's interesting that the threat is upon us like never before and the receptivity is upon us like never before. So we're scrambling to raise the money and create the coalition. We have 60 uh, global partners in our coalition. That needs to be 6,000. We have, we, we have big plans mm. because, because we have the earth is at stake. Yeah, no doubt. Um, how did you get involved in all this? What was your what was your your life like before uh, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago? Well, I mean, 25 I mean, years ago. 42 years ago, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. want to date you, but you know, before <laughs> you got into this. Well, I was a chronic do-gooder. I was doing personal development work. I was a meditator. Um, but I was always looking to help out where I could. And my my family background and my background was in communication. So mm. My mom, school teacher, my sister, my brother teaches teachers. Um, and I have a master's degree in business focusing on marketing communications. And so when I heard about this 25 years ago, I heard the dangers, which were A-level in the world, but, there, but the messaging was very weak, very weak. It was like impotent messaging compared to the level of existential threat that this was. So I figured maybe I can do some strategic communication support. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote some speeches and made some, some materials available. And I ended up working at a GMO detection laboratory as vice president of marketing communications. I had mm -hmm. to stop being an activist at that point because it was a neutral lab, but I was being paid to be an expert for a couple of years. And when I finished that stint, I realized the information of all the other NGOs, all the nonprofits, was very weak in terms of moving the needle. They were focusing on environmental concerns, and that wasn't stopping it. They were focused on trying to stop patenting of life forms and losing. They were talking about farmers' rights to save seed, and that didn't work. And there was this low-hanging fruit 
of human health. I said, if we can get the consumers to know about the health dangers, we can convince them. And even if a small percentage, let's say 5% of, of U.S. shoppers shift their focus to non-GMO brands, that provides the economic incentive for the companies to switch to non-GMO because they get no benefit from using GMO. It doesn't cost less. It doesn't provide any consumer benefits. It's just what's in the food supply. And they just order randomly. So we wanted to go for the tipping point. So I created the, the book Seeds of Deception. And since it was to go for consumers, it was a storybook. It was the storybook. It opened in the middle of a very dramatic scene where a scientist who had been gagged with a who had been gagged with an order by his former boss not to talk about his research that incriminated GMO health dangers, the gag order was released. 30, 30 reporters were ran to the they actually were in a press conference at his former boss's uh, laboratory when the boss said that the restrictions for Dr. Pustai's speaking have been lifted. Before he finished the sentence, they ran to the door. And they ended up at his house. They all knew where he lived because they had parked there seven months earlier when this was brewing. And they knocked on the door. And then Arpad's wife opened the door. And there was a person waving a piece of paper. Your husband can talk to us now. That's how I started it. From a drama standpoint, from a story standpoint, because remember, communication, education, not like, let's start with the beginning. What's a GMO? No, let's get excited. This guy discovered that the generic process of genetic engineering caused in his rats in 10 days, potentially precancerous cell growth in the digestive tract, smaller brains, livers, and testicles, partial atrophy of the liver, damaged immune system. He went public with his concerns, was a hero for two days at his prestigious institute. Then supposedly Monsanto contacted the Clinton administration, who contacted Tony Blair, who contacted the director of the institute. The next day he was fired. So this is a big high level drama that allowed GMOs on the market because he was creating the safety testing protocol for the European Union. His work was supposed to be what you do to figure out if your foods are safe. But he was basically fired. His team was disbanded. His documents were stolen or he wasn't able to get the ones that were stolen. It was an absolute calamity. But the day that these reporters showed up, Within a month, over 750 articles on GMO safety were written in the UK alone, and it created a firestorm. And as one editor wrote, it divided society into two warring blocks. And that was the death knell of GMOs in Europe, the coverage of this man's problems and his discoveries. And in the US, crickets. In the US, Project Censor described it as one of the 10 most underreported events of the year. No one talked about it. There was a clampdown in the major media. So what we had to do at the Institute for Responsible Technology is figure out how to get the truth about DMO health dangers out to people and not rely on the biased mainstream media. So that's what we did through two books and five movies and a thousand talks and 45 countries and training people. And it worked. Now, 51% of Americans believe GMOs are unsafe. And so we have more than we need. The tipping point is underway. So we're pivoting after 25 years to focus on the microbiome. It's a little harder because your choices in the supermarket aren't going to stop the release of genetically engineered microbes. We need government policy. So that's a new arena for us. So we're bringing in heavy hitters in that. 
I love it. I love your passion. It's uh, extraordinary. Uh, I can tell that you had a communications background because your communication skills are outstanding. Your ability to to move and inspire and to create action in your words and in your in your uh, in your delivery is is paramount. Um, it's awesome to hear and see somebody who's so passionate about this. You know, GMO has been talked about and have been discussed on these big. Uh, big platforms now, Netflix, Amazon, and other Hulu and other platforms, you know, that that it is important. And I think we all should be more in tune to the possibilities of creating a GMO-free planet. Um, and then the microbiomes, not just within ourselves, but within our ecosystem, I think is really something that I've taken away from here as well. Um, one last question about the microbiome. Why and how are we more focused on that today than ever before? I mean, even in health, or you know, you're saying that the microbiome is might be your it's your window to your health. You know, t- in so many ways, is it just because we have more access to it, ability to study it, or it's been studied for more period of time and we're now understanding it better? Well, in the last five years, there's been over fifty thousand studies on the human microbiome and health, which mm-hmm. is a ton, mm-hmm. and. We have the ability to study it with our materials, but we're also seeing now the link between disease and the microbiome. Kieran Krishnan tells me that 80% of chronic disease has its origins in a imbalance in the microbiome. When There's something called fecal transplants. And if you haven't heard of it, it may be shocking. You take the fecal matter of, let's say, a mouse, and you put it into another mouse the diseases or the health of the first mouse are transferred. I'm not talking about infection, talking about obesity or thinness, irritable bowel, cancer. It's like the microbiome, the bacteria and others, has a programming that represents that health. So I talked to Dr. David Perlmutter, who wrote Grain Brain and Brain Baker and Mm -hmm. uh, number one bestselling author, and he's in my film Secret Ingredients. Um, He said that there was a woman that came to him because her 12-year-old had autism and could hardly speak. And based on his studies of the microbiome, he recommended a fecal transplant. Many humans are getting fecal transplants. So they did a fecal transplant. And I think they went to India, to England for it at the time. Within two weeks, the 12-year-old was speaking full sentences. <laughs> the, there was a study or a, a case study where this athlete was having big digestive problems, got a fecal transplant, the digestive problems got better. She started gaining weight. She found out that the person that were the donor was had a history of obesity, as did her family. So we are seeing the impacts. Now it's we're seeing it at an impact, we're seeing the impacts at a time where we're also using antibiotics. Roundup is sprayed all over the country, killing the microbiome of the soil. There's we're at war with the microbiome. At the same time, we're discovering that it is life critical. So we've, it's a very poignant time in history. Yeah, I, I can see that, uh, no doubt. Um, any final thoughts before we close out the, the show? Um, yeah. Again, we got, uh, you have three websites, uh, protectnaturenow.com, and these will all be listed in the show notes, livinghealthybewell.com. Live healthy, and, be well. It's live, live healthy, be well. Oh, well, yeah, I'm sorry. Live healthy, be well. Right. And then your last one, responsiblechechnology.com. .org. <laughs> .org. .org. 
My bad. <laughs> hey, good job. I mean, yeah, terrible job. job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, you know what it did? It, it actually, if you're listening, you're going to get double dose of it. You actually get the exactly. Right I'm very glad you did that because otherwise it's like, what, what, what? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Your attention. All right. So here's my final thoughts, Steve. Um, you're, you, you told me you involved this, this retreat on mindset and resetting the mindset. Yes. I want to suggest that in this case, this information be allowed to influence the new mindset in two ways. First of all, we can take this information and be angry, sad, or fearful. That's people's decision, but I like to recommend to digest it in a way that turns us from victim to victor. Mm. It gives us empowerment. It says we get to determine what we want to do, what we call food, and not have it dictated to us by Monsanto or their enforcement wing in Washington. And that this is part of the second mindset piece. That as I traveled around the world and spoke to regulators in different countries, they said, for example, we don't need to test GMOs. Your FDA did it. And it's approved, so we don't have to do it. There's a mindset of giving away power and authority. We give it away at school. We give it away at work. We give it to the government. We give it to mainstream media. We give it to experts. And that's why GMOs are on the market, because everyone gave it away. Monsanto, the FDA doesn't test for GMOs. The policy created by Monsanto's former attorney, who was in charge of FDA policy, was that Monsanto gets to determine if its foods are safe. The FDA has no required safety studies. No, Monsanto can put it on the market without even telling the government. And if they want to engage the FDA, it's a meaningless, meaningless voluntary exercise. So Monsanto is responsible. And I spoke to someone from Monsanto formally. He said when they found that genetically engineered corn damaged the rats, instead of withdrawing the corn, they rewrote the study to hide the effects. So no one is paying attention. So the antidote here for the mindset is to say, okay, I will take responsibility. I won't pass it on. Now, that means different things to different people. Me, I work 24-7 in all parts of the world to protect. I'm not expecting people to do that. But because you can't do that doesn't mean you can't take responsibility. Take the responsibility and see how that manifests in your life with your skills and your resources and your social network and your family. So you can take responsibility for your own health. You can take responsibility for passing information on to the people you love. You may want to go to Protect Nature now and go to the advocacy platform and let your elected officials know. You may want to make a donation and have that be part of your taking responsibility. If all that is out of your hands, it doesn't mean just to not take the responsibility. The mindset will help in every area of society, in every area where corporations have taken control of governments, where we're not getting the truth we can figure out how we can take responsibility without it being a burden, but it being coming an honor that we get to step up and exercise our humanity and our free will in a way that others will take us as models. So even if we just walk through the world with that attitude and we can't afford to make a donation and our time is taken up so we can't go to these websites, we can still walk with that mindset and change the world. Hmm. And that's what I'd like to end with because you, you started with it when you told me about that mindset retreat, which I thought was beautiful. 
Yeah, that's that that was awesome. That was a great way to end. And you're right. We all have a choice. We all can take responsibility. It doesn't have to be too extreme. Um, but little by little and with every little effort, there you know can be a big change. Uh the awareness is first. And I appreciate you very much for sharing this awareness with us today, with my listeners, your listeners, and anybody else that's here uh to learn about the GMOs and the impact it has on us and our in our world and in nature. It's been a pleasure to get to know you. And I wish you the continued success and impact that you've had so far and to big achievements and accomplishments in the future and and uh, in this area, because I believe it's definitely something that needs to be changed. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate our time together. You're welcome. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, stay healthy and fit. Thank you for spending your time with me and my guest today on the Steve Jordan Experience. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, there are a few things that you can do. First, sharing is caring. So show your family and friends how much you care about them by sharing this podcast to encourage them to live their best life. Two, go to my website, stevejordan.com, to subscribe to my Get Fit community. Here, you will receive updates, news, and valuable information for ways for you to get more involved in the Steve Jordan experience. And finally, take a minute to please rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It helps me to continue to get outstanding guests to create an extraordinary listening experience for you. That's all, friends. Thanks for listening to the Steve Jordan Experience.